What is up, everybody? Thanks so much for tuning in. We have got another great episode of Shag and Flies with Ben and Zach coming your way in just a moment. This week, we talk to the one and only Chris Paul Towers, writer, podcaster, and analyst, among other things, for CBS Sports and CBS Sports Fantasy. He is a super chill vibes dude, and we had just a wonderful conversation this past week about everything from splitting hairs over fantasy rankings to the virtues of Fozzie Bear and why Dontrell Willis is the absolute best. He talks about what it was like being in the newsroom when the news broke of Osama Bin Laden's death. Uh, We take part in the great Lennon-McCartney debate, part 87 million and so much more so uh thanks for listening and enjoy our conversation with chris i'll never forget that uh the first game you know after he passed away hey man oh my goodness the hey yeah, the D Gordon home run and everything like that was just unbelievable. Like, I, I still have I have no words for that. That's one of those things where it's if I'm not a particularly religious man, but you know, yeah, exactly. Were, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not stuff. I'm not really into the spiritual, but there's something <laughs> going on there. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like, shout out forever to uh, Bartolo though for absolutely serving it up. Yeah, and, I mean, you know. Look, it, it's hard <laughs> to tell when Bartolo Cologne was was serving one up or not. You know, it, it wasn't. Yeah, he threw an 85-mile-an-hour fastball. Well, you know, that's what part yeah, of it is. But... All right, well, anyways, I think we're I think we're probably <laughs> all good to go. So uh, the f- first thing I want to do, Chris, is thank you so much for being here on our... It's our third episode of Shag and Flies, nice. uh, which is... It's been a blast so far. We've had... Um, our first guest was Alex Fast, and he was he was Good a lot one. of fun. And then we had a yeah, and then we had a live streamed episode with Jake Seely uh, last week, which was also a lot of fun. And I'm I'm convinced we have to have him back at some point because there was there was a lot we did not like. We didn't even talk about his dating life. Like I don't know if you know Chris yeah, the about like, all the, or the or the fact that he had like a thousand pop Funkos and clearly has a problem like with pop Funkos. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got, I've technically got four, but one of them fell down. I think, uh, is that a baby Yoda one that I, I see? Like yeah. it's, a, it's a baby Yoda. It's a, yep. a so and it's the, uh, the, this is fine dog. And I also have a baby. Nice. nice. Like I've a only reasonable, um, well-balanced collection. Yes. A, yeah. I've got, <laughs> I think two friend of mine uh, is really into them and he gave me uh since i'm a huge lord of the rings fan he gave me legolas um he so he asked me a couple christmases ago he was like hey ben who's your favorite lord of the rings character and i was like i i don't think he realized the can of worms he was opening so i'm like well if we're talking about like strictly the trilogy books it's probably faramir because he's like one of the best which he is one of the best characters but if we're kind of going out extended, the Maiar Tolkas is really cool, the Maiar of the Hunt. And then he was like, no, 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 Ben, I need <laughs> I need something I can buy a Pop Funko of. And I was like, <laughs> they might have a Faramir. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. He, he they did not have a Faramir, but he, but I was like, well, I also love Legolas, because who doesn't? And, uh, they got to step so, up yeah. the Carl Urban Funko game. You know? 
I want all. <laughs> no, that's uh, that would What's be Amer. Amer. Yeah, that sorry. was Amer. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Total, totally different realms. We're talking Rohan and Gondor. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to no. confuse the realms of men. You know. Oh, it's totally easy to do. Uh, but yeah, I have that. And so as soon as he gave me Legolas, I was like, great. Now I have to get the whole fellowship. So uh, I've been working on that. <laughs> I was like, thank yeah, you for been, this burden you've gifted to me. I, I have in my in my office uh, at work, which I haven't been into in almost a year now. I have uh, Darth Maul, which would go really oh, nice. well. With I have the, the Big Lebowski or the dude. Uh, and okay, I, and so I would love to get them, you know, get the whole clan together and really, really have a a nice eclectic mix. Yeah, that's my pop funkos are all at work, and uh, um, it's gonna I'm gonna have well. So he also got me my the same friend also got me Lurts, and I was like that isn't part of the fellowship, but I'll take it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I have a whole little Lord of the Rings pop funko collection at my desk, which I also have not been to in probably a year. Yeah. I like it. It, oh, it uh I'm sure my desk is gross. I need to go get it. <laughs> I need to go clean it probably. <laughs> yeah, my wife my wife also works at CBS, but she works for like a different branch of CBS and so they're getting their stuff back eventually. They're supposed to get like a package with all their desk stuff. Oh. And I've heard nothing. I was just really sent to them. I have a lot of like just tchotchkes and knickknacks <laughs> at my desk that I just like haven't seen. I miss it. I miss having my stuff. My <laughs> flair. They're not even letting yeah, you in yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, no, I, I haven't. I have no idea how I'd get in. It's been it's been a long time, but you know, it's. I mean, it's. I guess you know, in New York City, it's even more restrictive than in most places. So yeah, I barely remember. My office is in D.C., and I barely remember how to get there. Like I haven't driven there in a year. <laughs> I, I mean, I had only been in the city for five months when everything shut down. That's so. right. That's right. So I, just, I guess so. This is a brilliant segue, Chris. Thank you for this for this segue you because <laughs> you so you did you moved to New York, but you are originally from Florida, right? Yeah, yeah. lived in Florida correct? the first thirty years of my life. I think I moved when I was thirty. Um, yeah, never lived anywhere outside of Broward or Dade County uh, for wow. the first thirty years of my life. Wow. So, what um, is your family like originally from Florida? Or are you like? A Florida Florida family or transplants? Uh, transplants. My my dad was from Pittsburgh, uh, and his full, whole family's from Pittsburgh, and they've lived there for you know a long time, I think. And then um, my mom's family is from Puerto Rico uh, via Cuba. Her her father was from Cuba, so oh okay. Uh, growing up, you know, Puerto Rican mom, dad from Pittsburgh. Roberto Clemente was God in my family, <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm sure he was. Yeah. So how did you end up moving to New York? Uh, so my wife has had also lived in South Florida for about 20 years. She moved there from Venezuela when she was 12. And we decided a couple years ago, you know, we wanted to, you know, live somewhere else. We, you know, I, I like South Florida, but I, I think you always, at least for me and, and most of the people I knew who lived in South Florida, you, you, you like it, but I think you grow fonder when you leave. Um, and so <laughs> when you become a recovering about, Florida man, rather yeah, exactly. than a, and so in the moment, had, Florida uh, man, we had talked about you know maybe Atlanta, maybe DC, you know, a couple different places. But then I came to New York for the first time, probably in like a decade, a couple years ago, and I just remembered 
how much I love the city and the craziness and how loud yeah. and fast mo- everything moves. It just like really works with the way like my brain works. And so uh, I texted my wife. She'd never been here. And I was like, you have to come visit New York because I think we have to move here. It was like the first time I'd ever really like considered that. And we got a job up here and that's where we are. So, um, so while you were in Florida, you, so you went to, based on the, the Google research I've done, Florida International. Florida International right? University, home of the Golden Panthers. I would, I, if you had put a gun to my head, I would not have been able no to shot. tell you what the, no <laughs> chance. They, uh, dead. they used to be the Sunblazers, <laughs> and I wish they were still the Sunblazers. If you Google FIU Sunblazers, they had the most amazing mascot. He's like a, this is probably from back in the 80s. He had like a, uh, he, he kind of looks like the, the, the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers mascot. Uh, but he's like a son. And he's got- <laughs> was was Florida International the school that hired Isaiah Thomas and then like misspelled his name in the introductory press conference? Uh, Am the, I remembering? <laughs> the way it went was um, the provost of the university, I believe, introduced him uh, at the press conference and said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Isaiah Thompson. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, FIU. I was working oh with the FIU God. student paper at the time. I was uh, must have been the assistant sports <laughs> editor, something like that. Oh, and, uh, I remember he he wanted to meet the like the sports staff of the paper, including the people who were going to be covering him. So he probably sat down with us. Like we walked around campus for like two and a half hours, and like he is the most charming. Like he's such like he. Is like a politician, basically. He's so good at talking to people uh, that, like, it's it was bizarre how likable he was. Given you know, oh wow, that's that's really cool that you got to you got to meet him and hang out with him. That's that's really cool. So it doesn't um, surprise me though. Sometimes it's like the creepiest and most like uh, just off-putting guys are the on the surface the ones who really know how to. Yeah, he put on that. You know, he gave. uh, He actually like talked about the current crop of players at the time. I mean, this was 2010 or 11. So he was talking about like Chris Paul and Darren Williams and Russell Westbrook and those guys when they were back in their you know young peaks. And he actually was like a rare former athlete who was like, "Yeah, I couldn't play with those guys." (laughs) I I thought that was. Oh wow, that's refreshing. That's. You know what? That's really interesting to hear from a guy who mm-hmm. played in the NBA in like the 80s and 90s because yeah. a lot of those guys are like, Psh, this game, you know, yeah, they, yeah. yeah. It's just Charles Barkley well, is like yeah. the face of, of 80s and 90s <laughs> NBA stars why, and current media. Right. That's why I love Allen Iverson because he's one of the, mm-hmm. he's like one of the guys <laughs> who loves the current game and like gives those dudes their props and like. Kevin Garnett's another one. KG said something similar, too, yeah, yeah, where he's like, are you kidding me? Like, banging up and down for 48 minutes with those guys? Like, no shot. Like, no, hell no, I couldn't do that. Yeah, the KG, yeah, I I do really get tired of Barkley and Shaq. Shaq just turned into this cranky old man. Shaq, all it is, if you pay attention to Shaq, he's, he's very specifically, anytime there's a big man who starts getting, like, Oh, this guy's the best big man in the league. He start the people start talking about him like, oh, where does Dwight Howard rank historically? Yeah, that Shaq starts like, 
this guy sucks. Nobody he's playing against is any good. And it's like very obviously like burnishing his own reputation. And you can do this or do that. But you know what? Joel Embiid, yeah. unless you're putting up 42 and 18 a night, you're just not yeah. in the MVP tier. I'm sorry. You just, I, you know. <laughs> or like, um, what was, what was the thing but, he said? Uh, I don't remember which NBA guy it was, but it was, it was some star where like on the show, He's got he's got him on the oh, on Mitchell. the sideline and Shaq Donovan Mitchell. Thank you. I thought it was something. Yes. like yeah. I just want to let you know, like I don't think you're all that good or whatever. And mind you, this is like they'd won like eleven games in a row or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, but they are the yeah. the fortunately more the exception than the rule now with folks like AI and um, yeah Katie. So any anyway, moving on, moving on. Um, <laughs> Of uh, those guys. Um, shoot, where where are we yeah. going to move to? Uh, ben, did you have something? Well, you I was, to ask so what before? I was going <laughs> to ask, I wanted to ask you. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about your time at the Miami Herald, right? Sure. Because you were you were there briefly, right? I mean, you weren't there for super a little long, less than a year, uh, like yeah. a yeah, like a year. Um, was this while you were in college? And uh, what I mean. So getting a getting a gig at the Miami Herald, especially if journalism is your path, your career path, that's a pretty solid starting gig. Uh, so how'd you how'd you end up there, and what was what was time at the Miami Herald like? Yeah, I um so I was working at the uh, student newspaper at FIU at the time. It was called the Beacon. I was the uh, I guess it would have been the managing editor kind of role. I was basically in charge of like the production of the paper, making sure it got out every day, proofing everything. Um, Showing Isaiah Thomas around campus. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Giving him the ropes. And um, our the advisor at the FIU student paper, when he was at FIU, had worked with uh, the guy who was now the deputy sports editor at the Miami Herald. And he reached out asking if there was anybody... Um, you know, if they if we had any page designers, that was something that I, you know, I as the production manager, I had experience with that, and so I just kind of got lucky that you know he reached out and I interviewed for that and got hired. Um, you know, it was uh, 2011, so still in sort of the tail end of the the uh, recession of the 2000s, and uh, right in the like heart of like the low point for newspapers. I think I was there for nine months or 10 months and we must've had three rounds of layoffs in the 10 months that I was there. Um, it was like, Yikes. it was like a dream to work there for me. You know, I, I grew up reading the Miami Herald, the sports section with Dan Labatard. He was always like, you know, kind of my idol as a sports writer. And, um, yeah, that's something that I think a lot of people who know Dan Levitard's personality and his radio show and his ESPN stuff don't realize, like, what a phenomenal writer he he is still. Um, there's a piece we were talking about Jose Fernandez before we started recording, and um, he has a piece about Jose Fernandez the first time he made the All-Star Game, talking about his grandmother and his journey. It is amazing. I highly recommend reading that. Um, and so, yeah, working at the Herald was, uh, it was a big deal. You know, that was, um, you know, driving into one Herald Plaza was super cool. They had this, you know, historic building on the Miami, downtown Miami waterfront. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was amazing. I was super lucky. I did page design 
for really for like the first heat big three finals run um i was doing sports page design a little bit of news um i was actually working the night that osama bin laden was killed uh that was oh my god (laughs) so um yeah we got a we started at like nine o'clock it was like, oh, the president's going to make a statement. It was Sunday night, I think. And it was like 10 o'clock. He's going to make a statement. And so it was like, well, we have to hold everything because if they're doing this at 10 o'clock on a Sunday, this is probably pretty big. And then we started getting like rumors started coming in and you, The Rock on Twitter, I believe, <laughs> officially broke the news. I, I um, <laughs> do remember something like that being and, the case. Uh, I, yeah, that, that does, I do not remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think he specifically said it, but he was like, I just got a call and I'm so proud to be an American or something like that. Um, oh my God. He was one of the first, according to Google. There's a whole Politico article about how The Rock knew about yeah. Bin Laden before anybody else. So this, no, this was a real thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was uh, a, just, was just got word that will shock the world. Land yes. Of the free. Yes. Home of the brave. Damn oh proud God. to be an American. Yes, yeah, so I was, have to uh, say there are few on. human beings, there are few people as fiercely on brand, like consistently as The yes. Rock. <laughs> it's just <laughs> incredible. Even with that tweet, I'm just like, that's just that's a Rock tweet. Yep. We're we're super ADHD here, as as you can clearly tell. So um, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, man. So, so yeah. So um, the you're doing page design tonight. Bin Laden is killed. The yeah. Rock tweets out. <laughs> This is happening. <laughs> I think that was, that what was, what was the rest of the night? Like? I think people started like, uh, you know, assuming that. And I think some of the, you know, I was designing the inside of the A section, uh, which was mostly the world news sections. Um, and uh, I, I guess our reporters had started like, hey, we think this is what's happening. This is, you know, it seems to be a DOD thing, All blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, yeah, I think The Rock tweeting, it was kind of like everyone was like, okay, that's, it's probably what this is then. Uh, <laughs> the initial, initially, it was like, man, what could be causing, like, aliens? Did we, like, what, what is the, like... Um, so, yeah, you, you basically, like, take the paper apart. And the, the A-section deadline was usually, like, 10 o'clock, 10.30 uh, for the first edition. And so we had pre- pretty much everything done and all of you have to take everything apart basically. And I assume yeah. they had some kind of obituary pre-written or something from the wire. Um, Cause that's one of the things you discover working in a newspaper is how many obituaries they have pre-written uh, and pre. Uh, I remember hmm. when I was interviewing to be a page designer, I'm talking to the head of design and I'm in his office and uh, they had like, their Fidel Castro's death special section. Cause then in Miami, that was going to be like the biggest news of the last 50 years. And they had that for probably 20 or 30 years. <laughs> they just cons- consistently update that. Uh, <laughs> that reminds me of, um, do you remember that there was this SNL sketch where Dana Carvey is playing uh, Tom Brokaw and he's recording death announcements for uh, Gerald Ford. And he's just running through different scenarios just in case Gerald Ford dies. It's like, former President Ford was mauled by a polar bear today. <laughs> and then just runs through all. I just feel like that's what's happening with these obituaries. It's like, 
let's just fill these yeah. out beforehand. We'll fill in the details. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, there was somebody somebody got like reported dead recently that wasn't. And it was uh, oh, it was Vice President Pence. Uh, oh, Politico or oh. one of them accidentally posted their uh, there he has COVID. <laughs> oh man! But the headline said, "Do not oh, publish." The headline was Vice President. <laughs> Oh, test no. positive for COVID, do not publish. Um, oh my God. So yeah, that's, that's a fun little thing about the journalism industry that I, I think most people <laughs> aren't aware of and they tend to get mad when these things happen because uh, you'll occasionally get like something yeah. get published on accident. Um, and it's just, you know, you're just trying to get ahead of things, you know? Make sure that you can respond timely. Yeah, no, I mean, that, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense when everything is... I've done, I mean, so my, my day job is as a, a healthcare reporter and we've done some stories like preemptively where we've, uh, like when, um, Congress was working on repealing the Affordable Care Act a few years yeah. ago, we had some stuff written like it passed, it didn't pass, like the yeah. night that, um, yeah. they were voting on it just because we, you know, the next morning we needed to There's have only that story. Two hours. So yeah. It's going to pass or it's right. not going to Exactly. Pass. When, when it's, yeah. Now. Right. Right, exactly. And a lot of the rest of the story, honestly, is like background on what's happening. So yeah. that remains unchanged, whether it's passes or not. It's just the lead in the headline. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's wow. What talk about the for the <laughs> few months that you were at the Miami Herald? It sounds I like think I was also there when, eventful. Uh, I think I was also working when uh, Muammar Gaddafi was killed. I oh. think that was also one of those things we had to like, oh my god, uh, take the paper apart at the last minute. So. Yeah, it was eventful. I covered a, an NBA <laughs> finals wild. run where I was part of the team that covered an NBA finals run and uh, a couple major international incidents. So, yeah. Any news is good news, I guess. So, right? draw us a line from there to sports writing, to fantasy writing, to CBS. How yes. did all that come to be? Yeah, I was uh, at the college paper. I was kind of a, you know, jack-of-all-trades kind of person. I was a beat writer for the FIU baseball team for for a stint. I was our main sports columnist for a couple of years. I wrote a a music column every week. I wrote, I covered news. I was a news editor. I, I, you know, I was there for four years. Um, Was there more than I was in class, frankly. Um, And um, so I, I was always, you know, writing, doing all this stuff. And it was just kind of a I really enjoyed doing it. Honestly, didn't see a future in, uh, you know, journalism or media just because at that time there, it, it was hard to see. I mean, it was really like a depressing time, especially in, in newspapers. Um, it was really hard to see a future. And so, um, but when I was at the Herald, I basically found a, a posting from a, like a contracting company that was uh, that CBS was working with to hire, uh, you know, writers for uh, their fantasy department. Um, we used to do our player updates in house. The player news, you know, Eric Gagne recorded his thirty seventh save of the night, struck out two. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Um, we used to do all of that in house up until you know, probably twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, and. Um, I applied for that and, you know, got, got hired. That was kind of just how I got started doing the, uh, 
behind the scenes, no byline, uh, writing like 50 to 100 of those updates every night. Um, and I got lucky because the person who covered fantasy basketball for CBS Sports at the time had just moved on to a different role at the company. And they didn't have somebody for that. It was during the lockout. Um, so they were they didn't need someone right away. But when I got hired, they were like, well, you know, how how into the NBA are you? And I was like, yeah, I, I love the NBA. I follow it. Um, and so I, that they were like, well, you can, you know, once I got hired, they were like, hey, do you want to, you know, write fantasy basketball columns and stuff? And I was like, sure. I'll, yeah, I'll do whatever I can, basically. That, that's always been my, uh, you know, my yeah, no. Um And so that was basically how I got my first opportunity to kind of write as a fantasy analyst as well um and you know i think i got moved into full-time fantasy analyst role in like 2014 or something um so i was just kind of in the right place at the right time uh had an opportunity and and you know i took advantage of it i guess yeah were you doing when you moved into a full-time fantasy role were you doing basketball or was that more of like everything uh it was basketball i was the lead basketball writer i was contributing to both football and baseball um and then we stopped doing our in-house fantasy basketball coverage a few years back and um i've just been focusing on baseball and football for the last like three yeah well i was the editor of the section for a while but now i'm back as an analyst um so yeah now i just baseball and then football is the focus now yeah, that makes sense. I we um when we talked to to Jake last week, he was talking about how he does baseball and football, but now really just mostly football because that's that's where the money is in fantasy analyst uh, analysis. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, which the, makes the football me sad. only analysts have the you know that's the that's the cush job. Oh yeah. You know the season runs. I mean the fantasy season basically like really July to Jan or to the beginning of January is crazy. Right, right. Pretty easy. You got a couple yeah. of days, but for the most part, things slow down. Uh, baseball, yeah. the season itself is six months. Grind. You do February. <laughs> yep. It, yeah, baseball just always comes back. That's the thing about baseball. Yeah, man. I, I love. Uh, I love covering both sports. I love covering baseball. I, I, I think baseball is probably a little more fun to cover because it is more challenging. Um, sure, I would 100% agree. Having covered both, yeah, I would 100% uh, agree. You know, there's a lot fewer players that you have to worry about in uh, in football, and um, right, there's not as many variables, fewer positions, not as many prospects you have to yeah. keep up. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, yeah, and I and I feel like so much of football analysis is like it's rankings and. Yeah. I hate rankings so much. <laughs> I just I hate doing rankings. This is all something we always talk about when we're like going through our rankings. I can't remember who we were talking about. It was a pitcher. We were doing our starting pitcher preview the other day, and I got asked about some pitcher who I had higher than someone else, and and they were like, "But you like, you know, this pitcher? Who was it? It was Ian Anderson versus Corbin Burns, and I was like." I've been the Ian Anderson guy. I moved him up, and then they were like, "Well, you have Ian Anderson higher than Corbin Burns." And I was like, "Oh wow, I, I guess I do. <laughs> well, I guess I can do that." Because like, like, you know, you got the ordinal rankings. You got one through a hundred, 
but like that's yeah. not how it actually works. Like, right. It's also like exactly. football. Even if you're going really deep, you only. I mean, I'm I'm far from a fantasy football diehard, but like you got how many how many running backs are you ranking? Like sixty. I mean, yeah, like seventy. Yeah. How many and pitchers yeah. you get? Like you can be 150 deep just in pitchers. Oh yeah. Oh, like, easy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's crazy. That's really yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so that, like, um, yeah. I'm with you. Rankings are like not my brain doesn't work super well with <laughs> rankings, uh, and so I always like I can be talked in and out of like I'm looking at my rankings right now. I've got Francisco Lindor 24 overall, Xander Bogarts 25, Corey Seager 27. They're this like it's, it, yeah, like, wh- whichever one you want. Like yeah. Lindor will steal more bases. Bogarts, you know, might be a bit safer as a hitter. Corey Seager might have the most upside as a hitter, but it's like I'd be thrilled with any of them. I don't really yeah. have a strong opinion either way. But you kind of right. you can't not have a strong opinion on something. You're splitting yeah. hairs, but yeah. it is your job to split hairs at the same exactly. time, right? Yeah. And then you'll get you'll get people who will take the rankings as gospel, and and you're like, look, the rankings are just like an idea, and especially for drafts, it's like. Look, it's all going to depend on how your draft goes. Like, you know, how's your team? The first thing people will, you know, message me and ask, like, oh, should I, you know, draft this guy or this guy? And I'm like, what's your team look like? What do you need? Like, just it's, it's all so, uh, context is so important that it makes rankings almost impossible because rankings are in a vacuum and fantasy sports is never played in a vacuum ever. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's like, like I almost I prefer thinking about it almost as like the dollar values rather than the rankings themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, like my one through eight are separated by two dollars. My most expensive players are forty four. My number eight, seven, and eight are forty two. Six, seven, and eight are forty two. And that kind of tells you, like, for me, if I end up with any of those guys, I'm pretty yeah. happy with my draft went or with how the first round went. I. If I'm picking 10th and Christian Yelich is still there, he's my number eight player. I'm thrilled about it. Uh, right. So, you know, the the exact, it's also kind of why when I do like the Kentucky Derby, Derby style uh, mm. draft where you pick your spot, I'm actually yeah. aiming for like the second half of the draft right now. Like, I think 10 might be my like ideal. Interesting. I have, I know, I've, hmm. Because I know Bieber, Cole, DeGrom are usually going to go, and I'm fine with any of them, but I have DeGrom within that pool of seven hitters. So I know I'm probably going to get one of my top eight players. Mm, okay. Because usually people don't view uh, Christian Yelich and Jake and Jose Ramirez in the same way I do. Interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, it's so funny. I usually, when I draft, I usually want to do either end of the yeah. first round, like first couple picks or the last couple picks. And I hate, I hate the middle. I think everybody hates the middle. You gotta wait it's, so long. It's, oh my God. I know. It's just, it's the worst. Um, but actually, this is another, this is another great, you're giving us all the great segues. So speaking of baseball, the, Speaking what, of I baseball? Mean, speaking of baseball, uh, what is this? A pitcherless podcast? Please. One of the main, the main question we always ask every guest with this podcast, and one of the, the main ideas behind it was, what is it about baseball that you love? There's, 
obviously you do love baseball and uh there are so many other sports out there and obviously like you've met your football fan basketball mm-hmm. fan as well but what is it specifically about baseball that is unique to you that draws you to the sport uh extremely billy crudup in almost famous voice let me turn my chair around sit in it <laughs> first of all everything i i really like yeah i kind of hate the culture around baseball a little bit like the like old school baseball mentality that, yes. that's crazy yes. but like the the level of skill involved in in baseball and the degree to which individual personalities can manifest themselves in baseball i think is higher uh you know i think basketball is probably similar um but you know we were talking about jose fernandez before before and he's probably my favorite athlete ever um you know mm. coming from a uh you know my grandfather was a cuban refugee uh, living in Miami, just his story, the way it resonated with the city, the way, uh, you know, all that off the field stuff, but just the way he played on the field, the amount of the, 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 the emotion that he played with the joy that he played with, um, you know, baseball allows those kind of individual, um, you know, kind of standout personalities and standout styles in a way that, you know, I think at its best is really draws me to it. Plus just the, like, I appreciate the skill uh, involved in basketball. Like watching Steph Curry shoot is just like one of the great thrills of being a sports fan, I think. Um, Oh yeah, absolutely. But the, the skill to be able to hit a baseball, the skill to be able to throw a 95 mile an hour fastball. It's, it's just different, I think from other sports. Um, And I also like love going to a baseball game and just chatting just like love being at a three-hour baseball game you know maybe two and a half hours is the ideal but just sitting in the outfield you know marlins games especially you, you got a lot of room you don't got a lot of distractions in the crowd you're you're nobody's talking you know you're you're by yourself um some of my favorite memories growing up are when my friends and I first got our driver's licenses and we would just go, you know, we lived probably 15 minutes away from uh, where the Marlins played. And, and at, uh, at then I think it would have been Landshark Stadium, maybe. <laughs> um, and just going and spending $4 on, on tickets and just sitting in the outfield and just talking the entire time. It's, it's great. I love that. Yeah. No, as I, an I Orioles have, fan, I come. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say I completely understand the uh, uh, empty stadium draw. Yeah. Say <laughs> so we have we have an it's entire nice. podcast full of people whose just formative baseball experiences were cheap baseball games for uh, for bad teams. I mean, I'm, I'm a well, I was maybe not. Say, you had a World Series. Okay, I but by the time that I was old enough to like start going to games by myself and like that, I was I was ten when they won the World Series. So, am I? I consider Mike. I mean, I watched the amount of like you know Mike Pelfrey and Manny Bunuelos, and uh, but it it makes you a better baseball fan. So what what I want to ask you too though is, um, which Marlins team do you prefer? Speaking of like the nebulous, meaningless baseball decisions we have to make and rank on a daily basis 97 or 03 03 for sure uh the 97 team you know that that was i was a baseball fan at the time that sparked uh even more 
But one, obviously, the, the teardown of the team really takes you out of it. I mean, I, I got very into the 98 Marlins and Mark Kotze and Todd Dunwoody and guys like that. Uh, I think a young Cliff Floyd, maybe Kevin Millar might have been on that team. Um, but the 03 team, one, they kind of came together a little slower. Uh, you know, the O2 team had a lot of those guys. Right. Jack and, McKeon came on mid-year that year, right? Yeah, and it, well, in 03, he came on mid-year. Yeah. Um, and they added Pud Rodriguez, who I was always a big fan of. Again, you know, my mom being Puerto Rican, you know, he, he, him being, you know, probably the, the best. That's the best Puerto Rican player at the time, probably. Um, so that was super cool. Sure. And, um, that was just a really fun team. Dontrell Willis coming up his rookie season. Dontre Willis is another one where it's just like one of the most fun players to root for. I think in the history of Miami sport. Just like such a, an ebullient personality. Um that unorthodox delivery, just like weird yeah. like, super athletic dude, but like in a way that you don't see very often anymore. Like the moat one thing that I I kind of bemoan about like one of the ways in which I'm becoming like a cranky old man about sports is like the, the ways in which so many players come through these like elite academies and travel teams and all, and they have all the, like the rough edges sanded down by the time they make it to the majors. And so there's very, like there's not nearly as much no variety. There's no variety. Right. And Dontrell, his delivery, you would never teach someone to throw like that. Um, and you know, it fell apart for him. Like the the margin for error is very slim, and he basically lost yeah. it one from one year to the next. But he also had this wild batting stance. He was a really good hitter. He could rake. Um, he hit bombs. He actually he might. Was, yeah, he might be the best hitting pitcher of the last like quarter century. I, I've done. Oh, so. uh, I remember. I remember they used to pinch hit him. Right, like they would bring oh, him yeah. in to pitch hit sometimes. Yeah, and he he had like a. Like almost a 700 OPS as a hitter for his career, wow. 665. Yeah, his career. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that's wild. crazy. He's um, no, he seems like a great dude. I have a buddy who, um, his friends this past summer got him a Dontrell Willis cameo for his birthday, uh, and oh, it was man. like I, I'll have to go back and get have him send me the video again. But he was like everything you hope for in yeah. terms of, like projecting what you want an athlete to be. It was like a, just a rambling five minute video, and he's awesome. like being super super original. And he's like yelling at his kids in the background, and it's 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 super cute, and, and he seems like a really really fun dude. I remember when the Orioles. I remember when the Orioles signed Dontrell briefly. <laughs> and uh, he never made it to the majors, but I was just I was just very excited that he was even on the team. The Orioles have a habit of, I mean, you know, oh, they yeah. have Felix Hernandez now, so I mean, they have a habit of doing uh, this. Was Mike Piazza on the Orioles at one point? Not that I remember. Yeah, I um, one else from that era? And it oh, 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 I mean, so Vlad, Vlad, so, so, Vlad Guerrero, Jim Tomey. Um, Tomey, I forgot Derek, about Tomey. Derek, oh, I was so Tomey is like. One of my favorite players ever. So when he was on the Orioles, I didn't care that it was like the, you know, 42 year old ghost of Jim Tony. I was so excited to have him, but we had him. We had Derek Lee, um, for a short bit. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, oh, wait, Johan Santana was in the minors for a little bit for us. Yeah. Uh, never made it to the majors. Um, and now we, uh, oh my God, we also signed Matt Harvey. I just forgot about that. Yep. We, the Orioles signed Matt Harvey. And Felix Hernandez. So I mean, like, man, 
Yeah, six years ago, that would have been <laughs> that would have been something. Yeah, no, but I, uh, yeah, my my one memory from the O three team that really stands out to me. Well, there's one was Dontrell. The Marlins got flexed to a Sunday night game just because of Dontrell. I mean, they were they were coming on really strong. It was like mid July, probably or late July. Uh, and it was Marlins Diamondbacks, and so it was Dontrell Wells versus Randy Johnson. And I remember that game being flexed, and I was so excited about that. And I was 15 at the time. Uh, and then the thing everyone remembers from Game Five of the Marlins Giants uh, division series is the way it ended: uh, J.T. Snow getting thrown out the plate, Jeff Conine throwing him out, uh, Pud Rodriguez hanging onto the ball. There's this big collision, and Pud Rodriguez like doesn't let go of the ball for like 30 minutes. Like he's holding on to it. I 100% forgot about that until just Man. now. That was great. That really was yeah. a great run. The I, thing I always remember is yeah. um, Dontrell, I think it's like leading off the fifth inning as a hitter. He's cruising, just absolutely mowing them down. I think they have like two hits at the time. Uh, hits a triple to deep, like right center. And like is going 100% all the way, dives head first, and he looked like he never dove head first in his life. <laughs> um, and he's just completely exhausted. The crowd is going crazy. He comes out the next inning and just sticks. He just pulled <laughs> immediately and gets rocked. And it's just like, I loved that so much, though. Like, oh, obviously, they didn't lose. So, you know, that makes me like it more in retrospect. But just like the fact that as a pitcher, he was willing to go that all out uh, as a base runner and as a hitter, even though, you know, it, it cost him a little bit. Um, I just always loved rooting for him. He was and so that was that O three team was was really fun. And especially as a, a lifelong White Sox fan who was very much a White Sox fan on the south side of Chicago in the fall of two thousand three, the <laughs> that Marlins team had does have a very special place in my heart oh, as well. Man. So I'm 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 curious to hear from because I've heard you know millions upon millions and upon millions of repetitions of where were you for. The Bartman ball, you know, which, you know, yeah. of course, everyone here misses the point completely. And there's a, you know, double play ball through the legs that ends right, the inning right. that, you know, that's the real point. So I'm curious to hear, like, what your, how you felt going through that whole, uh, that, that inning, that game in, in the series. They might have given up a bases clearing double to, like, Mike Mordecai or something in that, <laughs> in that inning, too. Uh, that was, like, the, the, the final runs. Uh, first of all, it's like, 45% that Moises Alou actually catches that ball. Oh, I've been saying that for years. No, he, I, I, that's being generous, I would say. Yeah. So like, let's not, like, let's not put this all on him. And then Alex Gonzalez boots the double play ball. He was a really good defensive player. Um, things just fell apart for them, and it wasn't all Bartman's fault. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, th that was a very quick turn from, oh man, the season was over. Josh Beckett in game five had just pitched, like, it was like a 13 strikeout complete game uh, shutout, I, I believe. Uh, and so we were like, all right, we're getting back into this. And then going into that eighth inning, Mark Pryor pitching like he is. You just, you, you're just like, oh, well, that was fun. I hope we get another chance next year. Um, and I, I remember like running around my house. I, I was at my dad's house. And uh, I might have run outside. I might have like had to open the door and keep going. Uh, yeah, it was just it was thrilling, you know. It was uh, 
one of those moments that just that like that's why you're a sports fan for those moments when like the the almost impossible happens. And at that time, oh, absolutely, scoring eight runs in an inning against Mark Pryor felt impossible. Oh. I mean, I have, oh my God, I have so many of those types of memories. Uh, like, uh, you know, the Delman Young double for Orioles fans is always like, uh, that one's incredible. Um, oh, was that oh the last game of the season to, to, no. That no, no, you're thinking of the, the Red Sox game. That one that was, was really uh, cool too. No, don't tell me. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, uh, Mark Andino. Was that who hit that? Robert, Robert, Andino. Robert, Andino. Robert Andino. Yeah, Robert Andino. Robert Andino. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that with Fast on them. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, so yeah, the Delman Young double was the uh, division series game against the Tigers. Uh, okay. Uh, the year they, the year the Orioles went to the ALCS against the Royals. Uh, yeah. Um, and that was the double to win the game, and he like, uh, you know, he had a bases clearing double, uh, that that won the game, which is incredible. But I always think of that, and I also always think of this is basketball, but probably. Five years ago, the Wizards were in the playoffs and uh, were in the second round. And Paul Pierce, yep, the Paul hit the, yeah, the Paul Pierce game winner. I right? no, it wasn't to win the uh, series. You so called Bank? There was yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that was just I was losing my mind. I was at home watching that, and I yelled so loud that I frightened my son. Who was on the bed next to me? Like, yeah, why are you yelling? And I was just like, No, you don't understand. Not not with and, the kids, but you know, I I I definitely frightened my uh my my cats and my dog during this year's NBA Finals when Bam Adebayo had the uh that game winning block. I definitely yelled, Oh my god! Oh and man, I have I have done that so many times where my wife has been like, What's wrong? And I'm like. <laughs> This is the game happening. He made the shot. And she's like, "Oh my god! Yeah, I god. thought something. I thought someone was hurt. Why would you? I like we did um, one time. We were watching a. This is a Ravens game years ago, and I don't remember the specific game. But Justin Tucker hit a sixty-yard oh, field goal to win the game, mm-hmm. and I was I was at my parents' house, and my my son was a baby, so my wife was. Two floors up. My, I was in my parents' basement with my parents and a friend of mine watching this game. And my wife took my son to put him to bed. She two floors up. <laughs> she's putting him to bed. The field goal happens. We go, oh, oh my god! And she texts me and says, "You just woke him up." Uh, <laughs> it went from the I mean, basement to the second floor. <laughs> it's it, but it just those kinds of moments. I mean, those are also the moments you remember forever when when they lose. And it's just the most yeah. crushing, painful. Like so. Speaking of Paul Pierce, the Paul Pierce game winner that was at the next game to mm. keep the Wizards in the series. Uh, he hit a game tying three that was insane, like leaning in the corner, ridiculous shot, and it was called made. And then they checked it on the replay, and he released oh. it after the buzzer, and they were yeah, out. Yeah. So like those, ugh, those, those moments are rough too. But, um, it's, so speaking of the Mar, you made me think of this. Speaking of Marlins pitchers, when you guys were talking about Dontrell, one of my favorite Marlins pitchers ever was Josh Johnson. Yeah. When he, what when he was happened hot. To him? What oh, happened he fell to him? off way hard. Yeah, had injuries, right? Like, surgeries, I think, had a, had a shoulder yes. injury. But yeah, he was, uh, he was awesome. He was like, 
this is obviously high praise, but he was a little like Clemens-esque. Just gigantic dude on the mound, super formidable, like 6'7", 250 pounds, uh, power stuff. Um, Yeah, he had like, beginning in 2008 through 2011, he never threw more than, he only, actually had 280 inning seasons, I forgot about that. Uh, But he had 280 ERA over the course of those four seasons. He was really, really good, really tough to hit. Um, Yeah. he he yeah. was a part of the uh, the Mark Burley Jose's salary dump to Toronto, wasn't he? And that's kind of when it fell apart, if my memory he, serves right. Yeah, he was part of that, but it started to fall apart. I think 2011, he uh, when did he have Tommy John surgery? It was 2006. He had Tommy John surgery because he was a rookie. That was the year the Marlins had five rookie pitchers. Uh, I think they all won nine games or more. Yeah. Um, it was like, a, I think it was an MLB record or something. That's a hell of a fun fact. I like that. Yeah, but he, um, they all won 10 games, actually, yeah. Annabelle Sanchez won 10 games as well. Uh, it was Dontrell, uh, Ricky Nolasco. It was four rookies, and they all won 10 games. Dontrell wasn't a rookie. Scott Olson, Josh Johnson, Ricky Nolasco, and Annabelle Sanchez. Um, and uh, Josh Johnson... Joe Girardi made him come back out after like a two hour rain delay. And I think he got hurt like a couple of starts later or something like that. Uh, it was, that was very frustrating. That's one of those ones that sticks with Marlon's fans. Yeah. I, I always, I always really liked him and I, I was really bummed to see him like just kind of fall off a cliff like he did. Yep. Just could not stay, stay right. Yep. So, uh, we're gonna move. We're gonna move ahead to a section that is uh, sort of like a lightning round in a way, but don't feel pressured to answer the question super quickly. But we call it playing pepper. We're gonna play some pepper, and these are gonna cool. be basically quick questions that we just want some uh, some some of your thoughts on. We looked up uh, some of your hot takes okay, over the good. years, good, and good. I would love to hear some more on them so the first thing i really want to get to because i know you're a huge music fan and i am too and uh i love talking music with you so first thing i want to say this is an incredibly i mean just the most niche thing ever but i want to applaud you first of all for your take that mona lisa's mad hatters is uh, a better song than tiny dancer i don't Um, even think question so they, here's the thing. Both, they're both <laughs> almost famous. And Tiny yeah. Dancer is obviously the famous. That is the, mm. you know, if you know anything about Almost Famous, it's probably them singing that song. Yeah. Uh, Mona Lisa and Mad Hatters, a little later in the in the movie, a little more, you know, subdued, a little more, uh, you know, not, not quite as famous of a scene. It's a better song. I, I love that I, song. I so, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I love Tiny Dancer. But the main thing I wanted to applaud is the fact that you like Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's because that, of all of Elton John's songs, that gets so forgotten. And it yeah. is such a good song. Like, it really is. But I just wanted to mention that because that just, to me, I, I saw that and I was like, this is... He, it's I such a brilliant... Because it like kind of starts like in media res, like just like in the middle of a line almost. It, it's very abrupt the way it starts. And it just... It's such a pretty song, yeah. That's that's a really good. Oh, one. it's a, it's a great one. Um, but the so first music question I want to ask, 
And I just want to give you a moment to expand on this on this take because right. it is very interesting to me. Uh, you have said that the Red Hot Chili Peppers yeah. are Generation X's Eagles. Uh, <laughs> could you expand on that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't like either one of them all that much. I think they're fine. Uh, I, they're super, super popular in a way that I just don't get. Um, they are, I think the individual pieces of both bands, they have like some really, really great musicians that just kind of leave me like feeling a little empty. Like I know Flea is this incredible bass player. Yeah. But when I think of, and I, and I play bass and I think a lot about bass, it's one of the things that I really like connect to with music. But when I think about like my famous favorite bass parts or my favorite bass players, like he never comes up, and it's he's always like it's one of those things where it feels so flashy, and there's a lot of technical skill, but it's just like I don't like I don't want to say there's no emotion to it because that would be totally unfair, but it's just like I prefer a more melodic bass style. I guess slap and popping for you, you and me. Like we are we are in the car together, right? now because i cannot tell you how many times i have thought the same thing about flea where i'm like he is clearly very very good at bass like yeah very very good at it but it it almost becomes like it it almost becomes a cliche of like yeah flea's good at bass we know you hear a red hot chili peppers song and you're like yeah flea we get it we know it's like for for a guitar it's like ingvi malmstein yeah ingvi malmstein is an incredible guitarist but every single song you listen to shred like crazy. You're just like, yeah, Ingby, we get it. You can do sweeps. We know. Thank you. And to me, it's like watching it's like watching someone do complex math calculations in their head. It's like, cool. Like that is technically yeah. impressive. But, and, but and, yeah. And I think that like that comparison is probably a little unfair to Flea because he like he is a very funky yes. player and like it's not like yeah. robotic. It just I have a different style, and and also my thing with the fr- with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, their albums are way too long. Like I love Californication; that was a really big album for me growing up. Um, it doesn't need to be like it, all of their albums are like seventy minutes long, and it, I've always felt like it was just like, well, we can make CDs, and CDs can hold seventy five minutes, so we might as well. And it's like. The perfect length for an album is like 42 minutes. And so you've oh, got to have a I'm really so compelling with you. reason. you got to have a really compelling yeah. reason to go to like 65 minutes. And yeah. they, their albums are so full of filler. Uh, I, I don't dislike them, but I don't dislike the Eagles the way a lot of people do. I think the Eagles have some really great songs. Uh, I just never feel the need to listen to them. Interesting. I, I I buy that. I buy that completely. No, that that makes perfect sense to me as someone who is like neither an aficion an aficionado of neither the Eagles nor the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but is like you know well enough versed in in both. I I, I, I see that. I'm curious who I, who are some I, of your I, favorite. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ben. Oh, no, I was just gonna say. So like for the Eagles, there are a hand. There are some Eagles tunes. Like they do. They do a uh, great cover of the Tom Waits song "Old 55 that is beautiful. I mean it just is it's I love that song and that whole Tom Waits's first whole album, but um they take "Old 55 and make it what I think Tom Waits 
didn't know it needed to be. Like it just becomes this country tune. And, and I mean, there's no better, like, uh, you know, bar belting it out piano bar song than Desperado, in my opinion. I, yeah, they got, they got some, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I get it. Album way, you know, for a full album, for me, maybe Hotel California, uh, the whole album, because it's, it's got a lot of great tunes on it, but I do get it. I do get it. Yeah. I, I mean, I also think like Joe Walsh is slightly overrated. We can leave that at another. I mean, look, I, oh, I no, I'm extended. with you. He's also a total jerk. <laughs> oh, okay. We can. He's, I mean, they're all. He really said he, he, they also, I think that the Eagles just kind of get a bum rap for one. Just like they went into country music, but not in like a cool way, like the Stones did. <laughs> but they actually like, and, like country music is super uncool, especially among people who, you know. Are serious. Well, they about they kind of started. They kind of started in country music since they were Linda Ronstadt's backing band. I always thought they started and more in of, like that. Uh, in that like, I don't know, Jackson Brown. Like, sure, like, yeah. Well, so that was kind of more country. Uh, I would say once Joe Walsh joined the group, they were way less country and okay. a lot more just kind of California rock. Yeah, but they started. I mean, Glenn Fry. Um, before he left the group, he was writing country tunes and, yeah. uh, but yes, very much Jackson. They even did a Jackson Brown song in, uh, in Take It Easy. Um, yeah. but, uh, they, I mean, they were working with Linda Ronstadt first and they kind of took that Linda Ronstadt pop country sound, yeah. sort of like, you know, Flying Burrito Brothers, Graham Parsons kind of feel yeah. and then took that and added some California to it. And then, yeah. Drifted away from country once. I mean, once they hit Hotel California, there's no you know country there at all. But the first couple albums, for sure, they had. But I think they get a bad rap because of the Big Lebowski. I think that's yeah, a big and part also, of the yeah. other, And and the, the like Hell Froze Over tour. Like I, I just think it, yeah. like a lot about them rubs people the wrong way in ways that I think the the way they've done the reunion and then we're breaking up and then we're reuniting thing like. That is that is obnoxious, and I get why people dislike them for that. Well, and Joe uh, Walsh is also is, obnoxious. Yeah, yeah, and, and then the Big Lebowski thing I was just, thing is just unfair. Like it's a good line, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. I've had a long day, and I hate the Eagles. Like that's, that that makes sense. That, I feel like that appeals to yeah. something at all. Strikes a yeah. chord. Um, so I I also grew up playing the bass too. We talked about this with with Fast a few with you. Yeah. Ago. So who are your who are your um your favorite bassists? I mean, the Beatles were like Oxygen in my household growing up. Uh, so I, I just think like Paul McCartney is not at all the flashiest bass player. I, I in terms of tef- technical skill, there are hundreds I mean, of better. He, he played with a pick. It's like a cardinal sin of people <laughs> who really give a shit about bass. You know? <laughs> like, I, but like just as a musician playing bass, mm-hmm. I think he like yeah, just yeah. his ability to serve the songs and like, like the the sound, like the way, um, you know, starting in like the the mid '60s with like Paperback Writer when he started playing on the Rickenbacker and they started boosting the bass sound and and it just like, first of all, one it just like changed the way people thought about the instrument. Like people weren't viewing the bass as like a lead or semi lead instrument in, in that way before. Um, but he he was just such a melodic player. Uh, you know, like the baseline and something is just like, mm, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, and, 
like Pete Townsend or not Pete Townsend, John Entwistle is like oh if I God. want like, yeah. a technically flashy uh, bass player, he's probably the one I go to because I think he mixes melodicism with the technical skill. And the Who are such an interesting band because the bass and drums are kind of the lead instruments. Like if you mm. listen to like Happy Jack, mm-hmm. Keith is kind of playing, oh my God, yeah, he's playing like lead drums basically. And um, yep, I won't get fooled again. Like the bass in that song is kind of like the lead. Like that's oh, and not, and that's not even mentioning the bass in my generation. Yes, that's that's solo. Solo. going through my that's head so the entire ridiculous. Yeah, that's oh. that's when he uh, apparently originally meant to wanted to play that with a pick. That was his his style, <laughs> but he was he couldn't hold on to the pick, or the pick kept cracking because he was playing it so fast. But he had to play it. With <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the story on that. That's baller. That is some yeah. some baller that's shit right there. Gen- John John Entwistle is is a great choice. I I like that a lot. That's then, that's uh, awesome. Like I can't even remember the name of the bassist for Radiohead, but I feel like he's super underrated. Oh, uh, yeah. Wilco, Wilco uh, and and their bassist is really good. John Starrett, mm. uh plays a very like melodic Paul McCartney style of bass. Um, so yeah, yeah. And then that's uh, a good list. I'll throw out uh, Paul Simonon from the Clash. You know, he he actually. The first couple of albums, he didn't really... I think they just kind of wrote the bass lines for him because uh, I think he was new to the instrument. I think London Calling is the first album where he started like playing his own lines and the, the playing on that is really great. I think it uh, really serves the songs well. Mm-hmm. That. I also I just want to revisit your point about McCartney real quick too, though, because that's what we... Me and Ben were talking about this the, um, the other night just about Lennon McCartney you know which one big debate and my I, I didn't actually say this but i think the thing is like you could put mccartney at any other instrument in the beatles and i think you could say feasibly it wouldn't necessarily get any worse the drums i i will i am a ringo stan <laughs> i know he, ringo was the okay. least flashy player of all time but listen to dear prudence and born and uh back in the ussr back in the ussr played the drums on those two songs it is really bad drumming. Like if you listen to it, if you like listen to like an isolated track, he's like hitting the rim of the drum set. See, it, I didn't know that was Paul on that. That's yeah, funny. those two songs and uh, "Ballad of John and Yoko" I think are the three that he played drums on. Guitar, I think you, you can like he played the solo on "Taxman." Um, his solo on the end was the best one in my yeah. humble uh, opinion. John, you know, there were times when he played bass. And it's really, really bad. If you listen to like the anthology <laughs> version of uh, the Long and Winding Road, it's just it's awful. It's really bad bass playing. Um, so yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a Paul guy over John. It helps that I, I think Paul was, you know, there there are some things about Paul's life that you know I, I think get glossed over. He, he seems like it could be a jerk. John was like. <laughs> Kind of a bad dude for like a lot of a lot of uh oh did we lose bet <laughs> oh no oh no the, the Lennon slander came out and Ben uh, Palmer left no I, I, <laughs> I look I mean John Lennon was a genius he was a great songwriter he was a genius uh, he was a huge asshole it, it is what it yeah, is yeah. A, you know, like the the you know his addition to uh you know 
Paul wrote Getting Better, and, and John's edition is the, I used to be cruel to my woman, I beat her. Oh, my God. Oh, was like, that how the breakup of that went? Because, you know, that, that song actually came on my shuffle the other day. And it was, was one of those yeah. things where I really was kind of like, you know. And then, and then there's a Run For Your Life off of Rubber Soul. Oh, my God. Run For Your Life like, is the worst Beatles up, song. That is straight up just like a domestic violence anthem. Like, that is, is an awful, oh my God. awful song. Yeah. It is. I, I had I had a friend who was recently getting into the Beatles, and he was like, "All right, give me your you know most underrated, most overrated Beatles song." And when I said uh, overrated, I was like, "This isn't even overrated because nobody likes it." But yeah, run for your life. Yeah, I was like, everybody hates it, and it's and John hates it. I mean, John has yeah. you know had comments about it where he was like, "Nah, I don't." That was like, I don't even like that song at all. So no, run for your life and that line and getting better. I've always. Yeah. You're singing along with like getting better. It's like, like, be such an upbeat song. That's the whole point. And, like, oh my yeah, god! Like, yeah. what? Well, and especially because <laughs> wait, 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 yeah. pause. Yeah, gonna... <laughs> like he very famously did do that. Uh, yes, so, that is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, exactly. oh, that's that's one of those. That's one of those songs where like you have to wonder like why didn't anybody in the studio be like John? Uh, do we want to talk about this? I think it was known. It was you know. Oh well, cult. yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I mean, it was, well, like. Yeah. There are so many songs like that. Like I think of um, uh, when I, I've had people talk about how much they love "I'm on Fire" by Bruce Springsteen, and I'm just like, the start of that song, "Hey little girl, is your daddy home?" Yeah, it's yeah. Is he, did he um, go out and leave you all alone? I got a bad desire. How did nobody? How did the producer not just hit stop and say, "Okay, Bruce, what well, is this?" Was like that was always the thing. Like you know, like you know, early on, like Rosalita's got a lot of stuff where it's like, you know, like he's writing these like high school songs. But like by the time Born in the USA yeah. came out, he was like forty, and it's like I mean, because like the other songs in that album, he's like, "Oh man, we're old. Let's talk about how we used to like high school and like." You know, Johnny could throw yeah, a speed. Glory days. And then, uh, but then that one, it's like, yeah, it, it's just, it's super, I love super that. Creepy. It's a great song and it, yeah, it's gotta be his most covered song. I feel like I, I've seen like dozens of bands cover it and the Ava brothers have covered it. Yeah. And, but yeah, it's, um, it's that, a little creepy. That line, that is one, and the, the, the creepiest one for me that I always tell people about, I don't know how familiar you might be with Gary Puckett and the union gap. But uh, they had a song that was a pretty big hit in the 60s called Young Girl. And okay. it is, uh, it, it, the chorus is like, young girl, get out of my, uh, my love for you is way out of line. Better run, girl. You're much too young, girl. Uh, <laughs> and it's all about how this girl, this man is in love with this girl who is a child like underage and he he wants her to run away before he does something bad it's uh there's literally a line where he says get out of here before i have the time to change my mind and i'm like how in what world beneath all your perfume and your makeup you're just a baby in disguise like like how in the world where they were recording they were recording this song and nobody said gary what I what mean, are we? Can we? Can we talk about this? Like, why are we like, recording when, this? Why are we releasing Phil, this? Why did you when, write this? When Phil what? Spector are the types of dudes in the other in the other room, you know, <laughs> a lot of, it's just a like lot of what? Stuff what the was that? But um, 
Anyways, uh, that total sidetrack. So we're we're talking about we're talking about the Beatles. Another another one of your music points is that um, Paul had a better solo career than John, and I find that very interesting because I would I would personally argue that um, Paul had a very very inconsistent solo career, uh, and. I would say John John has in my opinion uh the best solo Beatles album in in Plastic Ono Band. I think See, that one that album is incredible. I I don't disagree that that's incredible. And this might just be a bad take. Like I fully <laughs> admit that this just might be like just it's just bad, just wrong. I might like Band on the Run more. I really, I love Band on the Run. That's I think fair. It's really That's fair. Album. Um, yeah, I mean, looking through, yeah, like Plastic Ono Band's really good. Um, Plastic Ono Band is great, and Imagine, I think, is a great album. I think, honestly, I think the thing that brings down John's solo career is two, two things. His covers album, the rock and roll covers album, yeah. which still, I had a great version of Stand By Me that he yeah. did, which is really good. But the rock and roll covers album, and then um, the Yoko stuff on on like Double Fantasy and uh, stuff gets a bad rap. Um, I agree, hundred percent. But I think that does bring it down a little because otherwise he wrote some incredible stuff. I mean, obviously he had some duds. I you know I don't usually listen to um, I don't want to be a soldier much, even though it's just like he he had some duds, but Paul had. A lot of duds. <laughs> Paul, yeah, Paul. Uh, I mean, the eighties yeah, entirely. Might uh, that might be wrong. Uh, I'll, I'll grant. We that. can. What uh, we can all agree on is that Ringo had the worst one. <laughs> I mean, I will if, say this about Ringo: he was the only one that all the other Beatles were like, "Yeah, we'll record yep. with you. Show up. Yep. We'll show up. We'll write songs for the album." Uh, Photograph, yeah. amazing George Harrison song that yep. he let. Ringo uh, sang. Uh, it even sounds like it should be on uh, All Things Must Pass. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, Chris, you went muted. <laughs> you oh, went no. muted. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you muted yourself. One of the Beatles to have like lived their life. I think you unquestionably pick Ringo. Oh, he <laughs> definitely had like the yeah. He definitely had the more carefree life yeah because i think it's like <laughs> like one nobody ever tried to murder him which like yep. when you're a, yep. when you're a former beetle that was a, you know, one in one in four chance yeah right 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 uh, he didn't get cancer either yeah and we know of that we know like just like the most chill dude he just like genuinely he does he does seem like the coolest guy uh Whereas shows like, up at award shows every now and then. Paul McCartney, like, yep. I've seen Paul McCartney six times live. I don't know why he still wants to be out there so much. <laughs> That's a good like, question. Yeah, I've funny. always kind of wondered that. I'm like, he's fine. He doesn't he retire. I get the impression he's a guy who who just too. feels like he has to. Yeah, like he feels it's. I mean, he's still releasing albums. He had an album last year, and I, I think he just. Yeah, it was. I think he just he has. He has to create things. Like he just—it's—it's yeah. it's this it's thing, like a, a compulsive thing. 
Yeah, it's it's he he can't not do it. He just he has to do it because it has to come out. It has to he ha- especially sitting in isolation with COVID and everything. I guarantee he's sitting at home in a studio, and that's how the whole album came about. Which was like, well, Man, he, I guess I'll fool uh, around and record something. I think there was a Rolling Stone cover where him and uh, Taylor Swift interviewed each other about mm. their respective albums because they both came out kind of the same way. They were mm. just like sitting at home. And they just decided, like, well, I'm going to start making music and we'll see what happens. Like, I don't think either of that. I think they both said, like, we weren't really planning on making an album. It was just, yeah. you know, we're here. We got nothing else to do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if look, if there's there's not a lot of positives coming out of the pandemic, but if there's one, it's folklore. It's I mean, <laughs> so I'm a huge national fan. Uh, the oh, band, the same. national and uh, my wife is as well. We both love Taylor Swift. She woke me up at like 7.45 the morning that she announced Folklore by saying, <laughs> oh my god, Chris. And I was like, what? Why? <laughs> she was like, no, sorry. Taylor Swift's making an album with Aaron Desner from The National. And I was like, that's awesome. What the hell? Why would you wake me up that way? <laughs> So you just go back and forth of like scaring each other about things, that right? About about Taylor Swift things. or sports. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of uh, um, uh, Matt's solo album from the National? Matt, um, God, I think I only oh, listened to his last name. Berninger. Thank you, thank you. Serpentine Prison. Once I got really bad about music in the second half of 2020. It was I Dude, was doing well, me too. keeping up with everything, but I just I haven't listened to like any new albums in 2021 except for. I think Julian Baker and the Hold Steady are the only. I was gonna say you didn't listen to the new Julian Baker album because it was great. Yeah, it's very good. What about the? Oh man, do you know the Nick Cave album? I have not listened to that one. Two days ago. Got it. I don't know if you're a big Nick Cave fan. I don't know. Oh, dude, Nick Cave's making some of his best music. His album before this one was really good. uh, Ghostine, Ghostine was phenomenal, and Skeleton Tree was incredible. Yeah. And there's an amazing documentary about the making of Skeleton Tree. Is that the uh, one that's on uh, his son? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was Skeleton yeah. Tree was being made when his son died. Uh yeah. it, for it um for anybody yeah. listening who doesn't know, his son fell off a cliff basically, you know, very sudden tragic death. And Skeleton Tree is just this painful and yeah. beautiful and tragic album and there is um a documentary called Once More with Feeling that is about the making of that uh, in the wake of his son's death. And it is an incredible documentary, one of the most beautifully shot documentaries I've ever seen. It's all in black and white. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's my favorite documentary I've ever seen. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, it's it's uh, Mistaken for Strangers, the Nationals one? No, I, no I've heard of it, I think. It's uh, Matt Berninger's like weird, like <laughs> he's like he's like a he makes like really bad homemade horror movies, and he like still lives with their parents, and he uh, goes on tour with the National after I guess Boxer, so right when they were starting to blow up, um, and uh, like is one of their roadies and is making this documentary while going on tour with them and then he gets fired from the from the tour because he's joking up and sorry i don't know if i can you can bleep me out if you want that's uh, okay we'll bleep it yeah it's all good it's all good 
and uh, it's really it's just oh, like. I've- are we are we doing ble- I've definitely dropped a dropped a few tonight. <laughs> that, you know what? That's okay. You are far first of all, you are far from the only one. I am almost certain in the pitch so you know, pitcherless has the, the, the squeaky clean image that we like to keep. Yeah, yeah. Uh that Nick likes to keep. And um you are far from the only one because I think uh Mikey Ahato uh dropped an F bomb in like his first episode of the <laughs> Seattle Mariners podcast. <laughs> I mean like that's, right no, away. No, that's he why was he, like, he was the litmus test. That was yeah. he put him up to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like really, it was so it's just like a really charming, <laughs> funny movie, uh the documentary. I, I highly recommend it. it um, yeah, I'll I'll absolutely have to check that out. And it really um, makes me want to see them live. I've only ever seen... I saw them at a music festival one time, and I really want to see them at, like, a real show where he's just, like, chugging oh, wine yeah, in a plastic yeah. cup. <laughs> it really he, they, I have heard they put on a great show. I, yeah. I would love to see them. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. We could talk music forever. The The last music <laughs> question I want to ask really quickly, and this is a terrible question to ask quickly, but um, I want to know uh, some of your all-time favorite albums. Uh, if there are, you know, two or three off the top of your head where you're just like, this is a, you know, and, and not necessarily, and I know you'll answer it this way, but, the, you know, the albums that have, uh, that you have a deep personal connection to. Yeah, I think the, there's three that are like pretty Perfect. much cemented in my top three. And it's Abbey Road, mm-hmm. which like growing up, that was like our, you know, that was like our lullabies, you know, like Golden yeah. Slumbers was like, Oh, yeah, my sister's favorite. A, I love that song. Uh, then Yankee Hotel Hot Truck by Wilco, which um, another great one was like my that was like my like the the window opening for me. Like before that, it was all like classic rock or like whatever was on alternative rock radio in two thousand one. So like <laughs> Puddle of Mud and Breaking Benjamin and. <laughs> like I remember I had like a CD yeah. case for all that and like Incubus and, um, and my the guy who became my best man at my wedding he was you know he's like 10 years older than me he's always been like a big brother to me um, he burnt me a copy of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot this must have been before it came out because that album famously uh, they basically got dropped from their label for making that album because the I think the label had thought that they were going to like blow up uh, over their previous few albums. Yeah. Happen. They just kind of always stayed around like a hundred thousand records sold. And that album came out. Yeah. If you're not familiar with it. It's difficult in some ways. It's, you know, got a lot of like ambient noise, but it's like a super melodic uh, album. But the, the record label, uh, basically like dropped them and said like you can have the album but we're not on our label anymore they released it on the internet it was one of the first like 2002 they released it on the internet um sorry right in the height of the napster type stuff yeah yeah and this was like the first um you know like we're just gonna release it ourselves and it caught fire and so he must have burnt that for me during the summer of 2002 and it was kind of like a oh my god like music can do this kind of thing and then i mm. that same year it was like flaming lips yoshimi battles the pink robots and bright eyes lifted and a bunch of other oh, oh my really gosh really like just took me mm. on a different path um and then london college yeah. at a clash i just think that is you know i i said the perfect length of an album is 45 minutes 
London Calling is one of the exceptions. That's it's a double album and it's just perfect. Every song like it's a punk album, but it's every type of genre. There's like like I don't know, the card sheet is like chamber pop or <laughs> like it's uh there's a bunch a lot of reggae on there. There's a lot of just pop music. Like Train in Vain is very poppy. Um and it's just yeah that that album yeah is, I was about to say Train in Vain is is super poppy um it, which is I yeah that's another that's an album I really need to give another chance because I listened to it once and uh, a long time ago I've listened to it a few times but every time I've listened to it I've been like yeah it's just cool like but I just it's been a long time long. so I really need to give it another chance it's long and it's, it's not what? very cohesive it's long yeah. and it's not very cohesive um, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's just like, that's another one where I've always really been into punk music, but, you know, a lot of the punk music you listen to is very, like, the Ramones. I love the Ramones. Their first four albums are perfect. Mm-hmm. They are, it's, like, 120 minutes uh, total across their first four albums or something, maybe. <laughs> yeah, um, that makes sense. I think the first one is, like, 24 minutes. Um and so yeah, you have that. a very specific sense of what punk music is in your head, and then you listen to London Calling, and it's like, oh, it can be like anything. It's yeah. like less a sound and more of like a feeling and a vibe because it's all like it all feels like the Clash, the you know, one of the canonical punk bands, but very little of it actually sounds like what you traditionally consider punk music. That's that's a fantastic description of it actually. I I'm going to you know what? You know what in honor in honor of this, I'm going to give it another listen tomorrow cuz I haven't listened to it in forever. I need to do that. Um so, I want to keep moving forward uh here because we got a, a few more things we want to ask. These are these sure. should be relatively you, quick. Uh, um yeah, <laughs> just a few. Sorry, I talk so, too much. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> this is look, that's this is that's the point. Purpose. That is the entire point. The entire purpose of this podcast is talking too much and just 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 chatting and hanging out and that's that's why I wanted to do this. The, the um, dirty little secret is that if we go over 2 hours, Nick pops up on our screen yelling, "You're canceled, <laughs> you're canceled, you're canceled." <laughs> But. Yeah, we get an alarm <laughs> of Nick being angry at us. But no, I'm going to ask. So we ask, have asked both of our guests that, uh, this, which uh, Zach has called, and I love it, the order of operations trifecta. Okay. So first question, when you get dressed, socks or pants first? Oh, socks for sure. You, this I, is I, so weird. I tend to wear, uh, I, I've made the move towards like more skinny fit uh, mm. clothes. Uh, not like, you know, not like skin tight like i I don't look like uh you know like mick jagger or anything right you know just a a, a, a more form-fitting and so you know it it's harder to get your socks pulled up with that because you got then you got to roll the you got to pull the pants back down and then the sock gets rolled down with it sometimes it's easier just put the socks on and then the pants this is so funny because the very so alex was our first guest and at we asked alex socks or pants first and he goes People put socks on first. Like, what? those people exist. And and Zach and I were both like, yeah, I know, right? Like crazy. And then you and Jake last week said that both were like, yeah, socks first because you don't want to like roll up the pants to put the. 
Well, no, and now like, now I'm just thinking, and I'm probably about to sound like a dumbass, but it's like, I, I'm just thinking about my own experience putting on joggers, where like I roll up my pants and then I put my socks on, and I'm kind of thinking yeah. that's, that's kind yeah. of dumb, actually. That's wild, man. Causing some real reflection here. Yeah, um, no, so, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> that's the first, the first part of the trifecta. Uh, the next one is Milk before cereal, or vice versa. Milk before cereal, people are monsters. All right, thank you. We had a long talk with Jake about that milk last week. Cereal, the only time you ever go milk before cereal is if you want a second bowl. <laughs> That's the only time. It's because then you have that to was sp- a large part of Jake's reasoning too. To be fair, well, you're, you're, well yeah, you gotta you gotta then like dunk the cereal to get it submerged and covered in the milk because you want it to be. You have to so, find that balance. Yeah, a little bit. So Jake's <laughs> Jake's defense. Jake's defense was that you put the milk in first, and then you let the cereal kind of slowly sink in, sink into the milk, be- and then it gets soggy less quickly. I agree. I think uh, I think milk before cereal people are sociopaths, and it's just yeah. I, I just yeah, it's insane. <laughs> Um, and the last part of the trifecta, when you brush your teeth, toothpaste first or water? Water first. Is it water, toothpaste, water? Yeah, water, water toothpaste. Water. So okay. the, the, the question, we should probably clarify this like for ourselves. Right, we, like, should, we should. Four, water four episodes in. Yes. That's, that's basically the question. Yeah. Or it, what, what is the oh, first thing water to hit the surface? Yeah. What is the first thing to hit the surface of the toothbrush, though? It can be water Walk. or tooth. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah you, you, you wet the bristles, you put the toothpaste yeah. on, and then you put water on top of the toothpaste right. to, like, seal the toothpaste onto the toothpaste. Yeah. This yeah. was That was a concept that Alex could not understand. Some people like, don't. Do Some do people don't. Yeah. I, you want the, tooth, <laughs> the bristles to be, to be moistened. I know people hate the word yes. moist, but that is what it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and the toothpaste. But then you need more water on top of the toothbrush to, to exactly. increase the, the lather. Thank so you. We it, are on the same page. We're on the same page. It's funny, though, because, Ben, I think the two of us align on all three things, but we have yet to have a guest who also aligns with us on all three things. <laughs> I know, right? It's, <laughs> it's going to be funny. a real process. Um, and that's because you yeah, have uh, your pants on before you stop. <laughs> well, so in the my thing, defense, the I, I am mostly barefoot. <laughs> And the, yeah, the big issue that I had was putting on was like getting dressed after like I am typically a lot of the times especially these days when I'm going out of the house like I get dressed right after I shower and so because just by virtue of being at the bottom of my body my feet even when I dry everything else my feet are still a little bit damp yeah. while everything else is getting dry so like yeah. I'm going to wait until I have everything else on before I take care of the socks but like I, makes, I can't get dressed thank you, thank you. completely dry because then I just, my body is just like, okay, we're sweating. And then I just, like, that's that's how my body reacts. <laughs> any moisture when I'm dressed. My body, it doesn't matter if it's 25 degrees outside. My body's just like, this, we're in overdrive. We gotta, we gotta keep sweating. For some reason, we're sweating and we can't stop. No, I can't. Yeah, I have to keep in Oh, I... I'm 100% with, I am, I am a fellow sweaty boy. I, I get yeah. that very much so. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> um, so, okay, uh, next next one I want to ask. Have you ever, uh, we, we're 0 for 2 on this one, but I can't, uh, 0 for 3, really. Have you ever seen a ghost? Uh, 
or have you ever or experienced something, something that makes that you was go weird? Yeah, that you didn't understand. No, my my wife and I are, you know, we we believe our apartment is haunted because it's like a a hundred year old building that used to be like <laughs> a part of a Catholic school, and so I, I'm just sure that there are, but I've never experienced them. My my family would always say when we were kids that their their house was haunted, but I, I never I never saw that. I never I never I don't believe in that stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. We uh when we've asked we asked Nick this question, we did sort of a test podcast we didn't release, which we'll ask him this again when we officially have him on and he will give us the same thing that Alex also <laughs> gave us, which is a quick no. uh yeah, no. Are no. you kidding me? Uh, no, no. <laughs> like a no stupid eat me? move on. You- move on. <laughs> yeah, 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 so was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, and no, the, no, the no, uh, no, uh, whatever the paranormal animals are called, I can't remember what the term oh, is. Oh, I have no like, idea. A specific term for it. No cryptozoology. No cryptozoology. I've never seen. Oh wow! I haven't seen. Oh, was that actually the word? Shit. Yeah, I haven't seen the Jersey Devil since uh, I moved up here. But I've only I've mostly stayed in in New York. So you know, maybe if I go over there, I'll see it. But for the most yeah. part, uh, well, no they say they say the Florida man is like an apparition unto himself. That's true. Yeah. Places, so. <laughs> Florida man. Yeah. Um, um, so. Uh, what is your favorite ballpark? PNC. Okay. It's, it's a good choice. Incredible. Yeah, it's a good choice. That's Popular. definitely that's definitely a, a very for good reason. choice. Um, oh, it's a, a beautiful ballpark. Uh, as a kid, and um, I've been to PNC Park probably twenty times, and it's oh, okay. the best. It's a oh great. Park. So you're not you're not just one of those folks. Like you know, it's the cool thing to be like, oh yeah, Pittsburgh's got the best park. No, People I visit yeah, it once and say I spent a lot uh-huh. of time. It, our our cool. thing would always be to like go to the Andy Warhol Museum, which is like a couple of blocks away from PNC yeah. Park, and then go to a game later. That's that dope. I didn't know that. I'm gonna have that's to like, awesome. that order of operations right, so, sounds really interesting. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. that. Um, the last one I want to ask real quick before we get to our final uh, segment is uh, who's your favorite Muppet? Favorite Muppet. Um, it's a tough question. It's a good one. I I probably invoke Fozzie Bear the most. Fozzie's uh, a great choice. I love a love a bad joke. Love to you know make a bad joke in the group text and then hit them with a Fozzie gif. Um, <laughs> Oof! You said gif. Oh, oh I am no. Uh, and that's oh, that's going to be no. the word we're censoring, if anything. But I think oh, I have to go. I mean, <laughs> I think I have to go with Kermit. Like Rainbow Connection is such a great song. Oh. Yeah. Rainbow Connection yeah. is a perfect song. Thank yeah, you. I, it is that, is the, that one of my favorite things. You know, the Daft Punk was in the the news recently, and I was talking about random access memories with with some friends. And I love that the song "Touch" on that album is sung by Paul Williams, who wrote mm-hmm. among other things Rainbow Connection, the Love Boat theme song, um, and a oh, couple other. Right, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, Rainbow and Being Green also an amazing song. Yeah. Andrew Bird does a I've great al- of Being Green. I I've always loved that Rainbow Connection is like you know the Muppets is this children's supposedly you know a children's show, a children's movie, it's pretty sad and it's song. like this this really sad existential crisis of a song yeah. in the middle of it, like Kermit just kind of wondering like what's my purpose in life, <laughs> and just like 
<laughs> and kids are like, oh, fun, it's a little frog playing banjo. It's <laughs> There's a great version of that uh, by Weezer and Haley Williams together. Yes. Or what's well, Rivers? Ooh, that's Rivers that's Haley. the same uh, album as the Andrew Bird being green. Oh, yes. Yes. Very good. I know exactly which one you're but talking about. That was why I liked the. Uh, the Jason Segel Muppet movie. I love that movie. It's love really that good. movie. Amazing. Oh, I heard really good things about that. Actually, it's it really is good. it is excellent because Jason Segel wrote it because he loved the Muppets, and yeah. uh, you can tell, like it yeah. just is written with so much love for the Muppets, and the music is written by um the one of the guys from Flight of the Concords. Flight of the Concords, yeah, yeah, uh, not Jermaine, but the other one. Who's yeah, the other um, one. um it, Brett. Apparently, the um, first time Brett. they did the table read for the script with like the Muppets, uh, Jason Siegel cried. Apparently, <laughs> I'm sure he did. Yeah, I love that. Um, that all right, so the, the last that, like melancholy uh, mood of be of uh, Rainbow Connection. Yes, absolutely. Oh well, yeah. I mean, like Manor Muppet is. Yeah. What a love what it. a beautiful that whole that whole the whole movie and all the soundtrack is so good um but anyways i'm we're gonna move on to so we don't keep you too late uh we're gonna move on to the final segment we call the full count it's uh basically we're gonna and you've actually experienced a little bit when we did our panel at pitchcon last year we're gonna ask for a recommendation in each of five categories full count three two nice uh (laughs) so First category we're going to ask for is books. What's a book you would recommend? Um, okay, I guess this will work with the audience. Uh, the Art of Fielding. I can't remember the the name of the author, but it was um, it's one. It's by Chad Harbach. It's about a um, a kid who plays baseball at like a small Christian college. He's like. Never made an error, I think, is like the the thing that he's known for. He's about to get drafted in, in MLB. It's a really, really good book. Um, it's one of those books that, as a writer, makes me, one, want to like take screenshots of every line because they're so well written and also throw the book away and never read it again because it makes me feel <laughs> I will never be able to write this well. Um, yeah. It's really, really like well-written, beautiful novel. That's I've never heard of it. I will absolutely have to check that no, out. No, me neither. I just looked it up. Yeah, it came looks... out in 2011. Yeah, it's right. a good one. Um, food recommendation. So that could be like food you like to eat, or a restaurant, or like really anything related to food. Um, if you ever get a chance to eat at like an authentic Puerto Rican restaurant, um, Mafongo. It's um. It's like a mashed fried plantains. It's like fried plantains that are mashed together, then usually uh, fried again. Uh, usually served with like a, I guess it would be kind of like an aljou, kind of like a sauce, um, like a broth. Usually like maybe seafood or roasted yeah. pork. Um, one La of my fungo? favorite. That's what that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, one of my favorite comfort foods. I think you can also get it at like Dominican places, but it's. Um, you know, the, could you, the could you spell that? that? Sorry. M O F O N G O. Okay. And it's oh, okay. Uh, it's I one of my thing, so that amazing. it's one of my childhood like comfort foods. It's a lot of garlic, a lot of uh, a lot of fried. It's really good. 
That sounds fantastic. Oh yeah, I think, I I think that might be that might be my favorite full cat recommendation we've gotten so far. <laughs> uh, I'm a hype. All right, out. that's awesome. Uh, next one is movies and or TV. Movies and or TV. I'm trying to think of how like how off the beaten path to go on this. <laughs> it, it, you don't even have to. It, honestly, if you literally want to be like you know, like The Godfather's pretty good. Totally fine. Like just so, whatever pops up in your head. The best thing I've watched uh, probably this year was probably Ted Lasso. Uh, you were like uh, everybody has recommended the, Ted Lasso. Sealy, Sealy said that too, didn't he? Just yeah, last Jake, week. Jake recommended <laughs> yeah, everybody was recommending, and I was like, "Can this really be good? Like this this TV show made after the commercials? Yeah, <laughs> like it is so good. It is like yeah." So pure and joyful, and uh, it's like equal parts, like Friday Night Lights, and uh, God, what's another? I don't know. Hmm. Better than the show they made out of the Geico Caveman. I would think so. Yeah, Um, yeah. It just like it makes it honestly, it just makes you feel good. And Lord knows we need some of that these days. Yes. Um, yes. So, yeah. I think that's how everyone responded to it so much. Yeah. So valid, valid thought. Uh, we have talked a lot about music so far, but gun to your head, music recommendation. What do you got? Oh, boy. Uh, Again, boy, it can be something obvious. But... Boy Genius EP. From yes. I was just listening to that EP literally yesterday. Uh, yesterday, because Julian Baker had a new album, it was just all Julian Baker all day for me. I probably and, do yeah. it like once a week still. And they have a performance on YouTube when they played at a venue called Brooklyn Steel. And it's them playing just all six songs from that album. And it's so good. I My wife and I have probably watched that a hundred times. <laughs> no lie i just like there was a period where I was it is every single day yeah that that, that whole that ep is incredible it really is and it makes me want them to do like another full, a whole full album because they three, those are just three incredible songwriters right there yeah I, I like that they they all sang on Haley williams album they all sang on julian baker's album they all sang on uh phoebe bridger's album so uh, presumably yeah. whenever lucy dacus's next album comes out her, her last one was really good. I I would really, really love to see her the have a, uh, another one. Thing? Yeah. Or the historian. Oh man, I don't remember the name. I remember it being very good. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But yeah, I could not Historian. recommend that the Boy Genius ah, the Boy Genius uh, EP. It's such a quick listen too, and it's just every song is just killer. It's so mm-hmm. good, and I I just I adore Julian Baker and her her tunes on there are. are that last song, the final song of the EP, um, Catch Em ID. Yeah. What a beautiful, the harmonies on that, absolutely gorgeous. Um, the, but the, that's a great, the guitar, great the guitar on Salt in, my, Salt in the Wound in that mm-hmm. uh, performance you can find on YouTube, she just absolutely shreds. She oh, I will she absolutely does. look that up. Yeah. Um, the last one, the last recommendation, Miscellaneous. Anything from your life, a, a gadget, an activity, anything at all that you would recommend? And what I have found, usually it's the first thing that pops in your head. A sous vide precision cooker. That is, like, it will change wow. right. the way you make steak at home. Uh, and also, the best salmon you will ever have. 
You throw it in the sous vide, 120 degrees. You throw it in there with a little garlic, maybe some herbs, butter. Throw it in a plastic bag. You seal it, 120 degrees for about 45 minutes. You fry it for just like two minutes, just to crisp up the crisp. Yeah. It is just the perfect, like most buttery. It is. I cannot. It has really revolutionized the way I make food. Man, I've been getting That's so awesome. many like targeted AI ads for sous vide cookers yeah. lately. <laughs> it's like I've never ad. heard of them. Uh, it's a really it's just a. Uh, it's like a French uh, form of cooking, and basically you just... Um, it's like poaching everything, basically. Yeah, but you, so you put it in like a plastic bag, and you air seal it, and then um, you just cook it to like a specific temperature for, so for steak, 130 to 135 degrees if you want rare to medium rare. Uh, then you just finish it off with uh, like a quick sear, and it comes out like... It, the thing is, it comes out to the exact temperature that you want. That's the... it's. It's really obnoxious, uh, like foodie, yeah, like yes thing. Except it's like totally right. my most used kitchen gadget. By that far. sounds it, that sounds awesome. It's because you can control the temperature. It's like it's like poaching things. It's in this bag and it's in the thing of water, and you can control exactly how hot the water is. So, um, wow, yeah. So yeah. What, I, what I do when I'm feeling lazy is I'll just like Wegman's has like pre-marinated, pre-seasoned stuff that comes in plastic bags. Yeah, and I throw it in there. Just like this is what we're having for dinner. Okay, that's great. That's I will absolutely have to look that up for sure. Yeah, Um, that's awesome. Well, we have been almost two hours now, which is awesome. Goodness gracious, fantastic! That I think this is officially of the three episodes we've done the longest, which is great. I I I talk too much. No, you talk exactly (laughs) the right amount, and that's what we're here for, man. Awesome. But I want to uh, thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast uh this has been an absolute blast i've had so much fun with every guest we've had and i i will tell you i want to confess to you when we when we came up with the idea of this podcast literally one of the first people i said i wanted to have on this podcast was was you i i told i told zach i was like chris would i when i was pitching the idea of this podcast to nick i was like chris would be phenomenal on this it was you, you and Jake, really. I mean, from that panel last year, I was just like, yeah. you and Jake would be so great on this. And then we got to do it with Jake last week for PitchCon, which was a lot of fun. And I'm really glad that uh, we got to do this with you. So thank you so That's much right. for joining us on the podcast. You are wonderful. And uh, yeah, thanks. And I, I hope, you know, one day, shoot, we'll probably just do a whole music edition of Shag and Flies. We'll just talk. I, I, <laughs> Two I, hours of music. I, I've been I've been <laughs> kicking around the idea of just doing a music podcast. I was on Al Melchior's. Uh, That's what I was gonna. Music, uh, you me in an album a couple weeks ago. If you ever want to oh, hear me talk I, at length about Carly Rae Jepsen's uh, emotion. Oh yes. man, that sounds wonderful. I, I will I say though before <laughs> before I, we let you go though, I do have to say it's funny. Ben did say like was you were one of the first names that he brought up when we first started conceiving this whole thing and putting it together. But like at first. I didn't know, like, I didn't recognize your name mm-hmm. because in my head, and we had been following each other on Twitter for a while now, but in my yeah. head, you were Mark Folkloretta. Yeah, Mark Folkloretta or uh, <laughs> Yankee Foxtrot Nixon, uh, Tyler yep. Boyd Genius. Yeah, I got to come up with a Boys and Girlies in America. I got to come up with a new one for the uh, 20- for 2021. <laughs> 
Yeah, I just, I, it was so funny because Zach was just like, wait, I thought his name was Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm doing here. I don't, I no, I like, I've, I've gotten a lot of people uh, who think my name is Trot Nixon. I've gotten Mark. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's hilarious. But anyways, Chris, thank you so much for being Thanks on the a podcast. Lot, it's a joy Thanks. having you. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, and... Zach. It's been uh, it's been real fun. <laughs>